Welcome to the Cambridge Judge Business School Podcast Centre. Some of the world's leading companies, many with iconic brands, are turning the clock back not just for minutes, days, weeks and months, but by centuries to organise themselves into loosely coupled networks or ecosystems. Nothing new there, according to Professor Peter Williamson of the Cambridge Judge Business School. These ecosystems were evident in Tuscany during the 14th century as an essential part of the textile industry. The management of common land in medieval Britain was yet another example. Professor Williamson's produced a working paper, Ecosystem Advantage, How to Boost Your Success by Harnessing the Power of Partners. It's based on the observation of best practice and detailed case studies which suggest that some companies are turning back to loosely coupled networks similar to those medieval commons as a response to the demand for today's complex integrated solutions. Was he surprised by the research findings? Yes, I think one of the things that surprised us was that thinking about this strategically is not actually as common as we might have thought inside companies. Uh, In some ways, the fundamental idea looks fairly obvious and common sense, and yet because these companies uh, have a great desire for control and to bring things in-house. And I think most managers feel more comfortable where they do things with people who report to them who they can set the incentives of control them. Uh, if you've got to deal with a much greyer area with partners who you don't report to you and where you have to think about structuring the ecosystem, a lot of people don't feel so comfortable with that. And so maybe it was less common in a lot of companies than we might have expected, given the kind of pressures that there are on companies today. The larger the company, the greater the bureaucracy, the greater the confusion, the greater line management, which you've just referred to, which which actually can get in the way, or frequently does get in the way. Yes, it may well be that we have passed the point of economies of scale into diseconomies of scale, and these organisations have just become too big, too inflexible, too difficult to manage. And an ecosystem is a way to get some of the benefits of being big by coordinating lots of people, but actually having each of the the cells, if you like, uh, focusing on what they are good at doing and being able to flexibly reconfigure the whole organisation in a way which is not really possible in a large bureaucracy. Going back, if if it's possible, to the 14th century, how how was it developed in the first place? I think it's emerged by people coming together in one geographic area, much the same as Cambridge probably sort of emerged as a, as a centre of knowledge. So I think it's a combination of people coming together to form a kind of common knowledge pool and yet realising that it's better if they specialise rather than simply trying to replicate what everybody else does. Well, turn that into the 21st century and and, and give me some examples of of people and companies doing exactly that. I think a lot of companies in the 21st century are are facing a very fundamental tension, and that is the need to reduce the complexity of things to make them simpler by focusing on a few things that the company is really good at. And yet, on the other hand, 
the customers are often asking for a wider and wider bundle of things. So there's a tension between the customers asking us to do more and the economics telling us we need to do less and focus. Some of the innovative companies have resolved that tension by using this ecosystem approach. And a good example would be a company here in Cambridge called Advanced Risk Machines, or ARM, and uh, they design the processes for many of the things. Uh, the 95% of mobile phones in the world have their uh, designs inside them. And basically what they've done is to say, uh, we are going to just stick to a very narrow part of the value chain and, and focus on where our skills are, which is designing these risk chip processes, And we're going to use partners to provide everything we need around that to make the thing work, whether it's actually manufacturing the chip, which is a large capital-intensive scale business, or writing software tools for engineers to design uh, functionality around that chip. And so the idea that these companies have pursued is actually to say we can generate value for the customer and still focus on what we are good at by putting together a group of partners who uh, form a kind of network to deliver the, the total results. From, from what you're saying and from what I've read, it would, it would appear that, that it, it relies heavily on, on trust, belief, proper funding and proper control. But somebody has got to take a lead somewhere, haven't they? Yes, I, I think there are uh, some key uh, things that one has to do to make these things work effectively. Uh, And the first is to realise that we're not just putting together partners because we think we can get on with them or so forth. We we have to start with what is the value that the customer wants us to create here and then how do we do that in the best possible way. So another example that is very current is the the whole iTunes uh, business of Apple with the iPod and the iPhone. And the idea that we had a piece of hardware here with, from Apple that's very user-friendly, a great interface, and so forth. But to make that valuable, we needed an enormous amount of applications and music out there to actually satisfy what the customer's looking for to do with it beyond making voice calls. So uh, Apple could have tried to be in the music business or the uh, software development business, but it decided the best way to provide a massive range of options for the customer and very flexibly was to create the iTunes platform and then the apps uh, platform out there in the market. So that's an example of using this different approach to say we can actually deliver more for the customer and magnify the value of our core offering, like the iPhone, and make it much more valuable by bringing other partners into the system. Now, based on your, your case studies, I mean, you say that you developed six keys to create the ecosystem advantage. What are those? Well, the first one is uh, starting from the customer value. So a lot of companies, when they think about partnerships and ecosystems, the first question they ask is, who should I partner with? And fundamentally, our research suggests that that's the wrong place to start. The place to start is, what value am I trying to create for the customer? And therefore, we can work backwards to what kind of partners we need to make this thing work. 
The, the second thing that's important is choosing the right partners or attracting the right partners. And let me make a distinction between those two things because we could go out and say uh, we want uh, Microsoft in our ecosystem or we want Apple in our ecosystem, uh, what have you. Or alternatively, uh, as the, the kind of uh, Apple applications platform has created you create a honeypot and all those people come to you so all those people out there developing applications uh, they came to this ecosystem because apple had set up the right platform and made it easy for them to actually use or join that platform so apple didn't have to choose the partners at all it just set the platform out there and the bees came to the honeypot one of the other important things is that you have to uh, encourage the partners to make an investment in the ecosystem because one of the benefits of ecosystems is that rather than you making all the investment, you can combine the investment you make with the investment that other people make in developing new products or new services or making the market by convincing people this is a good idea. So how do you stimulate other people to magnify the investment that you make? And a very important element of that is providing a roadmap for the future against which people can invest. Because if you don't, especially in an area that where the, there's a lot of uncertainty like technology, unless you set that roadmap out, there's nothing to really encourage the partners to invest. But there's a couple of other things that we need to do in order to make them grow and, and go forward, which are often forgotten by people. And, and the first of those is that we need to reduce the, the cost of joining the ecosystem. So that if we say you have to invest a huge amount of money just to get going or we make the interface very complicated, or you have to retrain all your people to be part of my ecosystem, then it's just not going to grow because it's, you've set the hurdle too high. The final thing I should mention, which we must never forget, is that a nodal firm has to figure out where is the toll gate in this ecosystem? Where could I take some profit out of it? you need to be able to offer something to that ecosystem which is absolutely unique. And if you don't do that, you're going to create a lot of value for the world, but not much for your shareholders. Professor Peter Williamson, thank you very much. to this podcast produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School.